Hello, everyone. Happy New Year and welcome to the Resolution Revolution. Today is often referred to as Blue Monday, which is supposedly the saddest day of the year. But I'm going to try and infuse some optimism into your day with the information I'm going to share. Now, according to a study reported in Inc. Magazine, two days from now, January 19th, is when most people will give up on their New Year's resolutions. Strava has dubbed it Quitter's Day. But if you stick with me to the end, I'll give you some tips on how to make sure that that's not you. Now, for those of you who don't know me, just a quick introduction. I was a senior creative executive for over 20 years, and for 10 of those years, I led all the advertising, media, and digital efforts for Ray-Ban. After a burnout episode in 2015, which put me in the hospital with vision loss, I went back to school to study the relationship between stress, the body, and the mind. And as a result, I started my company, Moodily. Moodily uses the latest science around mood, stress, and well-being to help turn employees' moods into a competitive advantage through a range of solutions, including a proprietary app, employee training, and keynote speaking, we teach people the ins and outs of mood management to help them reduce stress and improve both their personal well-being and professional performance. Now, you might be asking yourself, what does mood management have to do with resolutions? And the truth is that mood comes before everything else. It shapes the way we perceive and interact with the world. It affects how well we do our jobs, how we interact with other people, and how we feel about ourselves. And one of the things that greatly impacts our mood, and vice versa, is our sense of self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is basically what we believe about our own abilities to face what life throws at us. And our self-efficacy is determined by our ability to reach the goals that we set for ourselves or not. When we reach our goals, our self-efficacy increases and we allow ourselves to aim a little bit higher the next time. When we're not successful, our sense of self-efficacy decreases and we lower our ambitions in the future and we expect less from ourselves. So our ability to successfully go through with our resolutions has a direct impact on our sense of self-efficacy, which impacts our mood, which impacts how we face each and every day. Now, one of the things we may not know is that there's a series of brain dynamics that affect our ability to be successful. And that's what we'll be looking at today. We'll start with a quick look at resolutions, then we'll talk about why your brain hates change, we'll look at how and why our habits form, and then talk about what needs to happen to get your brain on board to make the changes you want. We'll look at an eight-step plan to help you be successful in achieving your resolutions and some ways in which the brain may try and sabotage you. So let's start with some info on resolutions. Taking a look at this data from a study done by Finder, it shows us that as we get older, we tend to make less and less resolutions, which you can see in the top left. Health-based resolutions are always at the top, and interestingly, careers appear last. So resolutions are very much about our sense of wanting to improve as people and how we feel as individuals first and foremost. And if we look at this chart, we can see that despite what we know, a very high percentage of people genuinely believe that they will go through with their resolutions. And while it tapers off a little as generations get older, it's still pretty high. But if we look at the reasons why people feel they won't go through with them, the primary reasons all lie with the self. 
people believe they either don't have the willpower, they're too lazy, or they will forget. Unfortunately, this already shows signs that people have developed negative judgments of their self-efficacy. And this can carry over into other areas of their lives, putting them at a greater risk of depression and anxiety. The truth is that our own brain dynamics actually create a very strong headwind against us whenever we want to make change. And let's take a closer look. So just some quick facts here about the brain, which I always think are fun. Uh, despite weighing about three pounds, the brain consumes 20% of your daily calories. The brain isn't fully formed until about 25 years old, and you may not be surprised to hear that the part that is last to develop is the reasoning, more thoughtful, or self-reflective part of the brain. It makes 10 quadrillion calculations per second that travel at a speed of 268 miles per hour. In these neurotransmitters are the information that manages every single thing that happens in your body your senses, your movement, your thinking, your feelings. And our brains come with a kind of pre-installed operating system that we've inherited from our ancestors. The primary objective of this operating system is survival. That means that your brain is not on the lookout for, is this a healthy choice for you right now? And is more focused on making sure you get home alive at the end of every day. It's up to our conscious rationality, that last part of the brain to develop, to decide what's good for us or not. And one of the key defaults is that the familiar is always more attractive than the unfamiliar. The brain will always lean towards what it knows, for better or worse, because it knows it can survive it because it has before. Think of the saying, better the devil you know than the angel you don't. And in order to free up vital cognitive energy to continue being vigilantly on the lookout for threats, the brain rewires itself to automate any behavior that we repeat. And we see this in the fact that we don't have to learn how to walk, talk, or tie our shoes every day. Once we've perfected an action, it moves from our conscious brain to our subconscious brain. But the brain doesn't only do this kind of wiring with our motoric actions. It automates our likes, our dislikes, our emotional reactions, and our behavioral responses. So let's take a look at what drives these behavioral responses. Now, the second set of defaults we're going to look at today is how the brain chooses. It moves closer to the things that give it a sense of pleasure and avoids the things that give it displeasure. Now, sometimes these can get complicated and mislabeled in human behavior, but that's another session. Today, we'll just stick with the fact that the brain likes pleasure and dislikes punishment. How we determine what we classify as pleasure or punishment comes through a lifetime of experience and conditioning. For some elements, we're told by our cultures, religions, or families what behaviors are rewarded and which ones are punished. For other things, we rely on our direct experience. We go through a process of encountering something, say a dessert, we try it, we like it, our brain pings our pleasure response, and we remember that for next time. Think of something you like. Do you have to think about it each time? No, you know what you like. That's because it's an archived behavior. And it's the same process with things we don't like. Maybe we walk down a dark alley, something scares us. The next time we see a dark alley, we're gonna avoid it. And with time and repetition, or in some cases, even immediately, these get locked up and become automatic. 
if you don't like oysters, how many times did you need to try them before you avoided them completely? Probably only once, maximum twice. And then each of these behaviors links up with a bunch of different associations. Maybe we had a delicious dessert in Paris. Maybe we had a memorable cake at our birthday. Or maybe the happiest day of our childhood included ice cream as part of our happiness. All of these associations become potential trigger points, which we'll take a look at in a little bit. But this is one of the reasons why behaviors can be so hard to change, as there isn't just one way in, there's multiple roads that trigger the same response. Let's say one of the behaviors you wanna change is to drink less wine. One solution is to not bring it home, skipping dinners out, going to healthy non-alcoholic restaurants, or seeing friends less. But what happens when you pass by a restaurant and you get a scent of a delicious Italian pasta that makes you think of that special dinner in Italy and suddenly the only thing you can think about is a good glass of Chianti? Now we'll talk about how to solve for this in a minute, but for now the key point to understand is that the change you're trying to make is much more of a tangled web than you might have thought. So if in the past you haven't been successful at making behavioral changes that you wanted, it's completely understandable. You have a giant series of networks in your brain that are making it hard, which incidentally look like this. Now today we're gonna to talk about resolutions, but what you're going to see here is valid any day of the year. If you wanna make changes for your birthday or you're going through a breakup, you've made a breakthrough in therapy, any moment that you're looking to make changes in life, what we're gonna look at will come in handy for you. So let's talk about what needs to happen in order to get your brain on board. There are three important things to consider if we want to successfully integrate a new behavior. And the first is how we frame what we're trying to do to ourselves. Our brain is constantly doing something called a risk-reward calculation, meaning we figure out if something is worth doing. Usually the effort that's required to make a change and the amount of time that's needed ends up not being really worth it to the brain to go the distance, and so we give up. I'll give you an example. If you're comfortable on the couch one night, binging Netflix, and it's freezing cold outside, and I call to invite you to a party that's an hour drive away, chances are you're going to decide that it's not really worth it. If, under the exact same conditions, I say come to the party because your favorite singer is doing an intimate impromptu concert, you'd probably reweigh your options and chances are you'd conclude that now it's worth it to go. So since any change you're trying to make is probably going to be considered by the brain as ultimately unnecessary, it's important to frame things in a way that gets your brain willing to get off the couch. Now, the second thing you want to do is reward yourself for any and all progress, as well as actively track your growth. The brain loves progress. Seeing movement forward will give you that necessary hit of dopamine to increase motivation. And finally, it's key to just keep it up. Scientific research has shown that the minimum time required for a new habit is about 66 days before it starts becoming automatic. The more time you spend with your new habit, the more importance it gains to your brain. So let's look at how to make it happen. Now, several research studies have identified something called the planning fallacy. It's an optimism bias that causes people to grossly underestimate the amount of resources that it's gonna take to get something done, whether that be time, money, or energy. 
You remember we saw that 80% of Gen Zers were confident they were going to achieve their resolutions, even though we know that that's unlikely. And this is where the importance of a plan comes in. Now, would you go on a trip without any planning? Would you buy an apartment without doing proper preparation? Would you make changes to your house without gathering info first? No. Resolutions and making behavioral changes are no different. Simply saying, I'm going to eat healthier, will get you nowhere. It's an intention, but it's not a plan. So the first thing you want to do is actually invest the time to thoroughly think through the change you're trying to make. Thinking about something is one of the ways we let our brain know that it's important to us. It's in the process of thinking it through and developing a strategy and a plan that we communicate to our brain that we're serious about making this happen. There's a saying in neuroscience that where attention goes, neural firing flows and neural connections grow. And what this means is that the more attention you give to this new behavior, the more your brain will work to hardwire it and make it easy for you to adopt. Now, here's the eight steps that we're going to be going through one by one to help you make your change happen. And the first step is to articulate a very specific goal. When was the last time you walked into a bar and said, I'll have a drink or sat down at a restaurant and just asked for food? Never. You give specific requests. The same goes for the brain. I want to lose weight is not a helpful objective. I want to lose 10 pounds by June 15th is a fantastic objective. It's concrete. It has a deadline. This makes it very real to your brain. The more it's real, the more the brain will help work out a strategy to get there. Now, we talked about how you frame things to the brain and how we want to focus on these new habits being pleasures, not punishments. If you think of dieting, for example, as I have to stop eating all the foods I love, you are very unlikely to be successful. It's very important to frame the language you use and how you think about it in a way that is positive and beneficial to you. Remember the concert to get off the couch example? This is where you draft that motivating twist. So the first exercise you want to do is a good old-fashioned pros and cons list. Since we're looking for concrete motivation, this will help you really go through it and make it real. What are the added benefits you're looking for? What's your driving motivation? When everything goes wrong, it's important to know why we're doing something. If we aren't clear on our why, then there's absolutely no reason for us to continue. Even more helpful is your con list. This will give you a sneak peek into the various excuses that your brain is going to throw at you throughout the process. This way, you know that these are your weak spots and things you need to keep an eye out for. You'll want to hang this list up somewhere you can see it in your house, next to your bed, on your fridge, in the bathroom. You want to be able to look at it every day. This feeds into that repeat, repeat, repeat step. Then we want to break our big goal down into bite-sized objectives. The brain loves progress, but if we go back to that risk-reward calculation it's always doing, if you say you want to lose 20 pounds, that sounds like a huge task and very, very far away. However, if you say, I'm going to focus on losing five pounds every six weeks, this is both very clear and very reasonable to the brain, which makes it much more achievable. And of course, we all know that if it's not in our agenda, then it doesn't exist. So if you want to write more, block out time. 
If you want to save more, make a note to execute deposits. If you want to exercise, block out times on specific days beforehand. The simple task of integrating it into our calendars helps make it more serious and real. And this goes back to the association network idea again of repeat, repeat, repeat. Then you want to visibly track your progress without getting obsessive. Once you're able to see how much time and effort you've invested, you're much less likely to abandon ship. Think about those 30-day challenges. When you see 17 checks on the calendar, you're more motivated to show up for day 18. Every time you add progress, your brain lights up and creates more incentive for you to continue. Now, one pro tip here is that you want to track progress on something tangible and not digital. According to UCLA studies, the brain gives more importance to paper and things that are in our physical world. And this is valid even if you're a digital native. Now, as you're mapping out your strategy, it's a good idea to think of some small rewards that you can give yourself as you're ticking off your goal points, as well as one big final present if you make it to the end. This activates your pleasure and reward circuit and reaffirms this process as a good thing, which will increase your motivation. But be careful because rewards are not all made equal. You want to focus on experiences. Why? Because they give you multiple opportunities to feel good, from thinking about which experience to choose, to anticipating its arrival, to living it, to remembering it. All of these moments positively reinforce that association network and help reframe the change as a very positive thing. Objects, on the other hand, create a sense of impatience and lack immediately. So if you choose an object to give yourself, you're going to start suffering the fact that you want something and can have it. This is a negative association, and you'll end up focusing so much on needing the object that you'll actually ditch the behavioral change just so you can acquire it immediately. Now, for the bite-sized objectives, you want to choose smaller experiences, spa day, cooking class, even an afternoon off. They also obviously shouldn't touch your objectives. No celebrating with food if you're dieting, no spending if you're saving. Then for the final reward, you should choose something larger or more meaningful that can provide you with positive memories. Again, this helps strengthen the positive association network around the behavior. And as we discussed earlier, there are multiple ways to trigger a craving of an old behavior, and we can slide off our plan if we find ourselves unprepared. So let's say you're on a diet and there's an impromptu lunch at a restaurant that you don't know. And because you're caught off guard and there's something from your old way of eating that catches your eye on the menu, because it's familiar, you'll end up ordering that. And this can immediately cause you to feel guilt, shame, and like you failed yourself. So you want to have your response strategies ready beforehand. Thoroughly go through your weekly habits and understand where is it that I might stumble. If you're not drinking, have a range of non-alcoholic choices in mind beforehand, just in case they don't have your preferred substitute. Or think of multiple options of food that could work in the case of dieting. Or, you know, think about what could get in the way of you spending extra time with kids and how can you either make it up or prevent it. Being very realistic about the potential potholes and sabotages along the way is part of the strategic process. Now, what to do if you mess up? And this is very important. Nothing. Don't dwell. Don't beat yourself up about it. This shouldn't ever be framed as win or lose. 
Just immediately pick your new routine up where you left it off without any excess emotional response around it. Negative feelings will start activating that unwanted association network. And finally, we want to use visualization. There's a lot of scientific evidence to support mental visualization as both an emotional regulation technique and a performance tool. In this particular case of making behavioral changes, it's fundamental to visualize the process and not the goal. We want to focus on imagining how it is that we achieved our objective. So one exercise you can do is to imagine that you are meeting a friend who you haven't seen in a while for coffee. And this version of you has already reached your goal. Your friend wants to follow your success exactly and wants to know how you did it. Now, with your eyes closed, tell your friend out loud. Talking out loud to yourself actually helps make it more real. In as much detail as possible, how it is that you achieved your goal, what steps you took, where you overcame challenges, how you persevered, how you feel now that you've reached your goal, and what you're looking forward to in the future. How do your clothes feel now that you're thinner? How do you feel with more money in the bank? How do you feel having launched that business? How do you feel spending more time with your kids? And what advice can you give your friend as best practices in going through with it? The more detail you can imagine in your mind, the better. Okay, now, sometimes things don't go as planned, as we know, and there are certain thoughts that will creep up and can throw us off and cause us to self-sabotage. These are the voice of doubt and fear. And this is what happens when we're subconsciously afraid that we're not going to be successful. And so we try and get in front of it by giving up first. So going through this list of things that are, are listed here, having a healthy and motivating answer to these self-sabotaging sentences can help you better navigate that moment when and if it presents itself. So as we discussed in the beginning, our ability to be successful at our resolutions actually has more of an impact on our lives than we might think. And this is why it's important for us to take this process seriously if we decide to give it a try. And just to summarize some of the key points here, it's key to always look at the change you're trying to make in a positive light. Anytime it feels like a punishment, it's going to activate that avoidance network and we'll give up. The more thorough of a plan we have, the more likely we'll make it to the end. And part of that is by trying to integrate it as much as possible into our lives in order to build a strong association network. It's also key to not make this a win-lose situation in your mind because we can risk feeling like failures. So to this end, you want to celebrate any progress that comes as a result. Always try and find the silver lining in the process and the outcomes you've managed to reach. And before I say goodbye, I'd like to give you a sneak peek at my next LinkedIn Live, which will be on Valentine's Day because we're talking about what to call our feelings. Shakespeare wrote, what's in a name? And the truth is a lot. Uh, we'll be discussing the idea of emotional granularity, which is fancy science name for being able to accurately identify the specific feeling we're having. Scientific research has shown that we can change our body's physiological responses by changing how we identify our feelings. This makes emotional granularity a vital skill for well-being. So I hope you'll be able to make that. 
For now, I'd like to thank you for joining me. If you have any comments or questions, or you'd like to know more about how I can help your organization, please drop me a line at erica.moodily.com or reach out to me right here on LinkedIn. Wishing you guys lots of motivation on your resolutions and hope you guys have a great day. Be very well.